The Athletic. MM stands for Mick McCarthy, not Merlin Magician. Evans will hit it all! That is special! It's magic at Molyneux! Dreaming is for free. Hello and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and a man keeping Wolves fans informed throughout this incredibly long hiatus without a game, Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. Hello, Bab. On today's Molyneux View, which Wolves players have done what and where during the international break? Connor Cody's only Captain England again, although his leadership has unfortunately inspired Wolves' next opponents, West Ham. We'll explain how and we'll preview that game. We'll discuss how much attention fans should pay to transfer rumours during the rounds and how much attention the club pays to fans' opinions on social media. To read Tim's in-depth articles and analysis, you must be a subscriber to The Athletic and you can sign up for less than a pound a week for the first six months by going to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolves pod. Hello, spiders. How's semi-lockdown international break life treating you? Fine, fine. Uh, yeah, fine. Just wait for the big guns to open in a couple of weeks. How clean is this podcast going to be, I ask you? Because uh, last week, you know, I, I consider this a family show led by you. You know, you're extremely, you know, clean cut or you work from the BBC over the years and, and everything, you know, really it's given you that, that those levels and the standards that you like to keep. However, last week, lovely Richard Skiro, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet on the podcast. Um, I'm going to quote him here. He said, uh, I once got called a dickhead. Can you use that in a podcast? Enter Jackie Oatley. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> right. You know why so, I said that though, don't you? It's because a couple of weeks earlier, and I'm still very embarrassed that I said blue-bottomed fly instead of blue-arsed fly. Yeah, this, this, is what, this is what I'm going to bring up. I was, I, I can't, I can't, be, I can't believe that. I don't know if people picked it up on it at the time. I can't remember what you were talking about, but you were about to say blue-arsed fly, and then you stopped. You hesitated, and you said. Blue bottomed fly. <laughs> it's just the most ridiculous CBeebies thing I've ever heard in my life. But it's a it's a BBC filter that I've had in my brain since I started working for them in two thousand and two or three. And yeah, it's hard to lose. It's hard to flick a switch in your brain and go, "It's okay to say arse. It's okay to say arse." So I just changed it. So yes, that's why I was delighted that Richard swore on my behalf. Well, he's broken through the glass ceiling now, so all all bets are off. All bets are off. But but I know that you will endeavour to try to try and keep. Clean. I'm tempted to use all the rude words I can think of now, but I really shouldn't. So let's move on. And <laughs> Wolves players, Wolves players have been everywhere, all over the shop. Um, I've counted loads of them, but I'm sure you're desperate to tell us who's done what and where. Do you want to just take it away? Have you got a nice list that you want to share with us? Yeah, and it's not as as mentioned last week. It's not a long as long a list as usual. I mean, normally you know Jimenez is off playing with Mexico, and Traore's been off with Spain. Johnny's with Spain, maybe uh, Nelson Semedo with with Portugal, but the aforementioned group there, none of them uh, went away with their countries. Albeit Jimenez did go to train with Mexico, and it went very well, apparently over in over in sunny Wales. Less so the match without him, but yeah. Yes, absolutely. So um, yeah, there's a few bits and bobs. Portugal drew two two with Serbia the other night, and for what must be the first time in years, no Wolves player took to the field. In that game, which is very interesting, um, some chap called Diogo Jota scored two goals, but we don't like to talk about that. But yeah, Neves, Matinho and Neto all on the bench, having started a few days earlier against Azerbaijan. And of course, as people know, 
most countries are playing three games in this break, which is just ludicrous. And, uh, you know, there'll, so there'll be rest and rotation. And um, I'm sure they've been in, in close dialogue with uh, with clubs that have a lot of Portuguese players. And obviously Wolves will be at the very top of that list, even above the likes of Benfica and Porto. Obviously, there's more games to come this week. We're recording this on, on Monday. Vitinha did very well in a midfield three for Portugal under-21s against England. Lots of people raving about his performance, uh, including ex-Wolves women skipper Claire Hakeman, who tweeted us to say, very promising displays from Vitinha for Portugal under-21s. He'll be full of confidence and match fitness. Maybe a good time to give him an outing, even from the bench. Yes, a funny one with Vitinha. I don't, I don't really see where he fits in, to be honest, in, in a rigid 3-4-3. And I think that's that's holding him back at the moment in the same way it's, it's held Morgan Gibbs-White back as well, since he's been recalled from loan. It doesn't really fit. So what was the thinking of signing him then? Good question. Excellent question. Um, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? That's not really one for you, is it? Hang on. Hang on. Let me just ring Nuno. Hang on. Hang on, Bab. He became available, didn't he? At, at the time, Porto were selling off a few players in the summer. And I know he wasn't sold, but he's brought on loan with, with an option. And a technically gifted attacking midfielder, sort of to replace Bruno Jordao in the squad, I think, you know, as, as, a, as a bench player who can come on, maybe improve as the season goes on and make a bit of an impact. But he hasn't really done that. A couple of decent appearances when Wolves were playing 4-2-3-1. I thought at Man United away, he was, he, was, he was pretty good. People might remember just after Christmas playing in the hole he did all right but yeah I don't really see where it fits into this formation so it'd be nice to see a bit of experimentation as we've discussed uh, in the last few weeks of the season so hopefully you can get a few more minutes. Dendonka started for Belgium the other night which is an interesting one isn't it? Such a talented squad they have there. An amazing squad and and um, still ranked or recently ranked anyway number one in the world and yeah he, he, start, he starts every week to, to, to the befuddlement of a few uh, Wolves fans certainly on Twitter. Um, I guess he's you know, with all the flair they've got ahead of him in the team and, and the creative attacking talent, they they want a bit of a water carrier there to to do the physical work, do the hard yards, and, and he will do that. He'll run all day long. So um, I guess that's why he's so popular with, with Roberto Martinez uh, and with Nuno as well. So um, he's not having the best of seasons, Dendonka. He made a good start to the year, but he, had, but he has tailed off a little bit. But good to see him getting minutes for Belgium. And a couple of others getting minutes. Uh, Romain Saiz played at centre-half for Morocco's 0-0 draw at Mauritiana the other night, uh, which we were all watching. Uh, Jackie, how do you think he played? <laughs> oh, he's Bob on. He's got a brilliant left foot. He's, he's, he's a real threat from a set-piece. Surprised he Bob didn't on. score. You don't, say that on, you don't say that on Sky Sports News, Bob on. Yes. No, he didn't see his size the other night. But yes, he plays a lot more at centre-half these days, doesn't he? Uh, but always has done for his country anyway. Yes. He did play at centre-half, as did Willy Bolly, who's um, who's a regular now for Ivory Coast. They've got a couple of games during the international break. He played the other night. One man who didn't was Owen Otisawi, who um, is in the, you know, in the fringes in and out of the USA squad. They played at Northern Ireland and he didn't get a minute. What's going on with him? In terms of... He's not in favour with Nuno at the moment. Yeah, not getting on, um, not getting on too well and uh, frozen out of the last few squads. No injury that I've heard of, So, um, but called up by his country. So... Again, strange one. Again, someone I'd like to see more of as, as as the rest of the season goes on. But, I mean, the last time we saw him was at Man City away when he came on and gave the ball away and immediately cost a goal with his first touch, which I guess shows you where Nuno's at with him in terms of his sort of trust in him. And uh, I, I know this, the season is a, is a, it feels like it's effectively over, but we'll still need results to stave off any, any fears of getting to the bottom three. So Nuno wants players he can trust. That's why he's not playing. Why he's on the bench is another question entirely. Um, he's obviously fit. 
in the USA squad, but not in Nuno's good books at the moment. Is it his kind of character, Otto Sauer? Because when the club did a really good interview with him, didn't they? When it was it was clear that he's the most laid back bloke you'll ever see in your life, and you just wonder whether that might be at odds with what Nuno requires from his side. I don't know whether it's a personality issue. Or... Certainly, um, a character, and as he yeah, as he alluded to himself in that interview, he's he's been a bit mischievous was the way that he termed it, and that's something that I've heard a few times. Um, and you know he comes from from a different background. He hasn't come through an academy. You know he's he was he was spotted playing in cages in London when he was sort of thirteen, fourteen. So they certainly liked that in the academy setup that he had a spiky personality and would answer back and challenge what was being told of him. I think if that's done in the right way, that's a good thing. But if you cross that line, then that's when uh, certain coaches and managers will just sort of say right until you sort your attitude out, you're not part of this group. So. Um, no kind of specifics here, but but yeah, certainly got a spiky personality, which Nuno, I don't think Nuno would like like being challenged, you know, from what I know of him. And I think that's reflected in the squad that he's put together, really. You haven't got massive egos in there and, and people who are going to bite back. And someone like Catroni was maybe uh, Jordan Graham, who we've had on the podcast before, has like openly said he challenged Nuno. So I think you see what happens when that happens. Now, Otisau is sort of young enough to... Um, uh, might, might be signs of immaturity there with him so um, they obviously see something they really like in him as a player but in terms of off the field maybe that's a bit of an issue for him at the moment but um, certainly extremely talented with the world at his feet so um, he's at the right club to, to be nurtured in that respect I, I believe Talking which Theo Corbianu Wolves forward in goal scoring shocker this is extraordinary scenes Yeah incredible uh, and what a goal <laughs> six shot tapping it was for um, yeah for Canada amazing um, for him to um Get his first call up and get on the score sheet. Fantastic! It's the um, it's the Olympics later this year. I know that I know that's a big target for him personally to get into their squad. And yeah, a goal on his debut against um, Bermuda. Again, don't know much about their team, Jackie, but he can't do any more than get on and score a goal. No, watching those highlights, they weren't the best, were they? They they weren't the best. But that's not the point. The point is, is that this lad came on and he got himself in the right position. Good run, good finish, and um, his interview afterwards, which was on some sort of Canada soccer Twitter feed. I was thinking, he's never 18. He looks about 45. I mean, he looks so much more mature than his age. And um, yeah, I mean, do you think he's anywhere near the first team? He's been on the bench, what, a couple of times, hasn't he? Do you think he's in Nuno's thoughts as coming on? Or is it just really just a case of William Jose, Fabio Silva, or that's it? I don't think, he, I don't think he's anywhere near it at this moment in time because they've Pedenzi's out injured and... There's no kind of natural sort of wide forwards um, to back up Neto and Traore in the, in that first team squad, but yet still Corbiano can't get on the bench, which you know suggests to me that, that he's not anywhere near it at the moment, which is a shame because he's done very well for the under twenty threes, and um, he's very confident as anyone who saw what was his FA Youth Cup game at Chelsea last season will know when. Um, when Wolves were taking on, you know, probably the best youth team in the country, and they've 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 set the standard for everybody, really. Chelsea, an unbelievable team. What a test it was for Wolves to to take on Chelsea in was it a quarter final? It was either quarter final or last sixteen, and um, it was nil nil, and Wolves are holding their own, and then they won a penalty, 
and uh, up steps Corbiano at nil-nil in the first half against Chelsea and dinks a Penenka straight into the keeper's hands and uh, full-time score, Chelsea 7, Wolves 0. So, so, um, <laughs> a bit like the San Marino game, you know, in England needed to score bucket loads and Stuart Pearce's back pass and they scored. But, but you speak um, to you, you know speak to coaches around that setup and and they thought that they really would have given them a good game that night but it was just the way that that Corbiano missed his Penenka and then Chelsea went up the other end and scored and heads just dropped and it was you know such a such a big lesson learned but from what I'm told of him his confidence is sky high and he would do it again he's not the kind of you know he's, he is oh, the, good excellent <laughs> whack him in then but put he, him on pens but he's, Nuno come on I interviewed him uh, late last year at. Um, uh, check a trade game at, at Port Vale, and yeah, he's he's extremely confident. I know he does not look does not look or sound like his age, and he's taking a big risk, you know, com- coming over to England um, to make a name for himself and, uh, and build a career. So um, the first, the thing with him now, as as with all Wolves youngsters, is is playing football. Pretty simple, really. So if um, it's a real shame they didn't get him out on loan in January. I know they were looking to do it, but at the time, Wolves' injury list was a bit longer, and they were thinking we might need him on the bench. He had been on the bench a couple of times, including at Liverpool and at Brighton. I think was another one. So they didn't quite they didn't didn't quite get a move for him, which is a shame. But yeah, an- another talent from the under twenty threes. We're seeing quite a few these days um, from various parts of the world. So that's promising. He plays a bit wider for them, doesn't he? Rather than spearheading the team. So yeah. he mostly plays on the right, left footed, mm-hmm. great left foot, cuts in, but can also play on the left. Good shot, decent height, good in the air, very good technically. Um, so he's got a lot in his locker. And he's older than Fabio Silva. Aren't we all, Bab? Aren't we all? <laughs> some of us are older than Fabio Silva's dad, by the way. But anyway, moving on. I'm not... Some of us are, some of us are t- more than two times older than Fabio <laughs> Silva. <laughs> I'm just saying some. God, I'm not saying scary. any names. It's scary. Um, and there's some bloke that captained England. Anyway, moving on. Yeah. <laughs> we can't move on. I mean, goodness gracious me. We cannot get blasé about the fact that a player who plays for Wolverhampton Wanderers has captained England on more than one occasion. Okay, so Harry Kane wasn't playing and neither was Jordan Henderson. But the fact that Gareth Southgate gives this bloke the armband and not one of the other senior players in the side speaks volumes. Speaks volumes and and bodes very well for the Euros. I mean, you know, he he might not be first choice um, particularly if they play a back four, you'd imagine Maguire and Stones obviously are going to be ahead of him in that regard. But but when it comes to the squad for the Euros, it's looking very good. It is purely because um, or a a he's, he's playing in a in a qualifier. I know it's only against San Marino, but he's starting. And um, and B he's got the armband now on, on two occasions. You know during matches, so it shows you how highly Southgate thinks of him. Um, I've written so many pieces on Cody since joining the Athletic and one was about this the run of consecutive matches he was playing on before he finally got rested for a, a League Cup game. But he played like 18 matches in a row in all competitions. So I did a piece on that and spoke to Liverpool's old academy boss, uh, Frank McParland, who, co- who Cody counts as one of the key influences in his career, um, as he told this podcast when we interviewed him you know, a year ago. And McParland said at the time, in, when the time I interviewed him, September 2019, I genuinely think, Frank said, he can go on to captain England. He just absolutely loves playing football. He'd have been so gutted if he never made it as a player, etc., etc., etc. And I remember thinking at the time, September 2019, I don't know, Frank, like, that's asking a lot uh, for him to go on and captain his country. And yeah, fast forward a year and a half, and he's done it twice. I mean, it's a remarkable rise, as is the whole of his kind of last four or five years as, as uh, at Wolves. 
and yeah, he's fully in there on on merit. I know there's been um, he's been questioned a little bit by Rio Ferdinand as, as we're going to go on to uh, during the international break. But his performances for England have been almost flawless. Um, I think it's four caps now. Obviously, got 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 the one goal, um, three clean sheets during those games. I know you can look at the standard of opposition, but he can do no more. He's doing really well for England. We know the important Southgate places on those performances. Hence why Jordan Pickford has, has been his number one keeper. Hence why Alexander Arnold has dropped because he had poor performances in his last last England games. You know, Southgate places a big emphasis on how you perform for your country and what you do in training. So that bodes very well for Connor. And also how you are in the squad and your influence on the squad. And it's very, very clear. I mean, we've known what he's like for years, but he is such a Gareth Southgate player, as I tried to tell Gareth just before the last World Cup when we had an ITV drinks. <laughs> I, was, I was saying, you know this guy, Conor Cody, you know he's playing in the Championship. He won't be for much longer. And you really need him in your England squad. And, and he said, oh yeah, I know all about him, but you know, it was just a case of he had to do it at the top level. And look at what he's doing. And he did play in a back four the other night. I know it's against the lowest ranked side in the entire universe and was never challenged. But that leadership and Declan Rice, we spoke on the pod a few months ago about how Rice had mentioned in a TV interview about Connor's influence in the dressing room and how he was blown away by it and how he really, really learned from it. Well, he's mentioned it again this week's BBC Football Focus, if you want to have a, a watch back at that. And Declan Rice was asked what being an international player was doing for his game at the moment. It's massive. Um, you know, I'm only 22. I come here and I'm playing with people that have played in the Champions League final, won trophies, won Premier League titles. You know, you kind of just take a step back and just kind of pick up little bits from different people. Connor, I've never actually been in a dressing room with him. So to see him and see how the impact he has on the squad and the team inside, it's people like him that you need in your changing room and stuff like that I've kind of taken away and tried to take to West Ham to, to add that to my game. Says a lot, Tim, hey? It does say a lot and chimes with everything that, that we know about Cody and on the sort of flip side, I saw Rio Ferdinand say, and I've seen, you see a lot of this on social media, why is someone like Cody in the squad or Eric Dyer in the squad when Keane at Everton or Concert at Villa or others aren't? I was a bit disappointed with those comments from Rio Ferdinand, really, because he knows better than anyone it's not just about picking the 23 best players. It's not as simple as that. You've got to build a team and you've got to build a squad. The guys don't have to like each other. But there's got to be respect there and communication and a real team ethic. That's what that's what wins your tournaments. You know, Rio knows that, and and Cody is an excellent player, by the way. I'm not I'm not I'm not just saying that he's in it for his other abilities. He's an excellent player, and he brings leadership and organisation on top of that better than I've ever seen anyone do at Wolves. I think, or certainly for a long time. So you flip that round and you look at the Grealish debate. Why why wasn't he picked for ages? You know, he's, he's sort of become a regular in the squad quite quickly now but remember Grealish wasn't picked for ages well Grealish wasn't picked because he's been in the news a lot for the wrong reasons over the past few years that that was why I'm, I'm sure of that you know and there were a couple of injuries as well at, at unfortunate times for him that did coincide yeah but but I, but I really think that that was a key part of it from Southgate's point of view so in, in the same way sort of you know bad influences or people you're not sure about their character can have a negative impact on a squad Good influences can have a very positive impact on a squad and influence on those around them. And Cody epitomises that, really. So you hear Declan Rice say that, you hear Wolves players say it all the time, you know, what an influence Cody has on them. Add to that his massive improvement as a centre-half, and, and that's why he's in the squad. And I, I think it's I think it's a fantastic story, you know, to go from from being a, a midfielder at Wolves that, that most people probably wouldn't have been bothered if he'd been sold that summer, you know, when Nuno came in. But Nuno changed his, his position 
not even four years ago, and his rise since then has, has been unbelievable. And he's just he's just such a credit, such a credit to Wolverhampton Wanderers, and um, everyone should be so proud of him, which they are. Yeah, and you can't underestimate how important it is to have those type of characters at a tournament where players are with each other day in, day out, Absolutely. week in, week out, for weeks on end. It's not just a case of, you know, sometimes it's fun to go on a website and click, or oh, these would be my three goalkeepers, or oh, these are the best centre-halves, or these are the best midfielders. And you're doing it, taking all the emotion out of it, taking all the personality out of it. You're doing, well, he's got a good left foot, and, and yeah, those are the two best strikers, or whatever. It's so different when you're actually a manager, and you have to pick a group of players to get on with each other, and to get the best out of each other. Because for England to win a major trophy, finally, again, after all these years, they have to be greater than the sum of their parts. You think back to Rio Ferdinand's era, and they were brilliant brimming with top quality players they've since admitted that they didn't get on because they had the Chelsea versus Manchester United or Man United versus Arsenal and they had all these cliques and sat on different tables and hello England didn't win anything and they didn't really get very close either yeah definitely and you look at you look at the Man United team um, under Fergie the amount of leaders they had from back to front the amount of those that gone on to be managers is, is frightening really and then you look at Arsenal, the, the direct correlation between the leaders that they had, Adams, Keown, Vieira, Ian Wright, all, all those characters and big personalities that won them the title. And then years after that, they, they had none of that. And that's why they stopped winning, in, in my opinion. So, um, so yeah, like I said, Rio knows that. I'm sort of disappointed in his comments, really. He, know, he knows how important characters like Cody are um, to the team. And like I said, for him to be captain twice in his first four caps is phenomenal. It really, really is. And he's a Wolves player. We're sort of taking it for granted now. Wolves have got like 12, 13 internationals in their squad. And it's ridiculous. I remember when they used to have none. You know, but, but, but back in the day, um, when, I, when I first started becoming a fan, David Kelly was it at Ireland. <laughs> David Kelly was it. And I remember being an Ireland fan at the 1904 World Cup because um, he, was, he was pretty much the only international that Wolves had. And there'll be even fewer when you started in the in the late seventies. Um, <laughs> late seventies. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you know honestly when you when you talk about that, it, it's so true that back in the day when I first started going to Wolves in September nineteen ninety, and Robbie Dennison scored the first Wolves goal that I saw against Bristol Rovers, and um, he was really the only international, and he would poodle off, and I. I glued to CFAX or Teletext to see whether he'd scored a goal and I'd be you know glued to it for that two hours or so that he was involved you know is Robbie Dennison a Wolves player going to score on the international stage and that was a really big deal and um, back in those days we had England B internationals remember Mickey Stell was called up for England B Andy Much played there was no you're shaking your head you were still being rocked by your mother in your pram (laughs) your cot Go to sleep, little Timothy. Um, David Kelly, as you mentioned, there's Paul Jones, who's a Wales international. Then we started getting very exotic players, such as Steve Carica from Australia, Cole Robinson, start going into the mid-1990s. Exotic Cole Robinson, yeah, you're right. (laughs) Exotic Cole Robinson. Uh, Glenn Crow went off for the Republic of Ireland under 21s. That was exciting. You'd be trying to scrabble around the the Argus or the... uh, or the Express and Star to find out how he'd got on in the small print somewhere. It was quite sad. It was very sad. I didn't do any work. I just followed various media outlets to find out how Wolves players had gone on. Mark Williams from South Africa Williams, with the worst first, first touch in a Wolves shirt by a million miles. And then 
you got into the really fun era, fun but unfortunate under Graham Taylor of these top players who were so destined to take Wolves into the Premier League at long last. And then half the blighters went and got awful injuries and totally beyond Graham Taylor's control. But John DeWolf from the Netherlands. And, uh, and of course, you had Steve Froggart, who was actually called up to England yeah. when he was with Cov. Left, but yeah. um, his wife rudely gave birth at that time and he had to race back from Scotland and was going to make his debut. Kevin Keegan had promised him, so he didn't. Um, but then, yeah, you had all those players, Tony Daly, etc. But unfortunately, the injuries and, and then went on to the likes of A.D. Williams, Ewan Roberts. Well, and then it became quite normal after that to have international. Sort of. I, mean, I, mean, I remember, you know, Matt Jarvis being called up for England was, was a massive deal. And in fact, <laughs> it's quite embarrassing because we have him on the podcast now on a nomad but at the time it's very embarrassing I don't know why I'm saying it but um when he got called up I changed my Facebook profile picture to to a picture of Matt Jarvis um I was so so proud it, but that's not sad that's that's something to be really proud yeah, of I was like 27, apart from Bully who we've not really mentioned um so uh <laughs> Yeah, I remember. I went to England training for the BBC and I was watching him training and I was just pinching myself that there was a Wolves player running around with all these top Premier League players and about to make his debut. Well, it was unbelievable because it had been, it had been what, 21, 20, 20, 21 years since Bully got called up. And yeah, it was against Ghana, wasn't it? And, and he fully deserved it. I remember that spell he went on for one or two months and he was beating some of the best fullbacks in the country for fun week after week. And yeah, that was fantastic. And then uh, Robbie Keane at the 2002 World Cup was a massive one for me as well. I know he'd left Wolves by that point. Um, but yeah, there were some quirky ones over the years. Uh, Ryan Green being called up oh for Wales. Gosh, Do you remember that one? Yes. Before he'd even before he'd even played for Wolves, I think. He was Wales' youngest ever international. Wow. Um, whereas, you know, back in the day... Coming to Wolves as an international player, you know, you'd mostly retired and, and Molyneux was a dumping ground and, and a last chance saloon for, for a bit of a payday. Um, whereas now, Wolves kind of make international players. Um, someone the, the amount that the amount that have made their debuts in, in the past um, four four years is is unbelievable. I, th- I think it's coming up to about nine or ten now. Um, Neto sort of been and Neto and Otisawi being the most recent ones. Uh, and Willie Bolly, of course, Ivory Coast. So it's completely flipped on its head now. Um, Wolves, are, Wolves are generating international players themselves with with um, with this team of theirs, which is which is on its day still pretty good. Wow, how this fine club has changed! Imagine if Cody scores at the Euros. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. I think this might be the first Euros that I won't actually be involved for a while, so I'll actually be able to watch it with friends and pints and chuck them over each other and everything. That'd be great. Is that what people do, <laughs> apparently, when I've been everywhere and seen all these YouTube and Twitter clips? Talking about Twitter, Tim... Interesting to see quite a lot of Wolves fans on social media sharing reports of players being linked with a potential move to the Golden Palace in the summer. We didn't talk about Neto to Man United last week because, well, well, you just explained him from your perspective. Um, I, ju- I don't really see the value in, in giving these um, links much credence, to be honest. Um, I mean, a lot of them... Ninety-five percent. I think. I think that's what Jeff She quoted. I think the last, the, sort of the last time he did an interview, he said sort of nine out of ten or ninety-five percent of transfer rumours just have absolutely no foundation whatsoever. And I'd, I'd probably agree with that in, in my experience. 
it's just an absolute waste ground of um, of lies and, uh, and and often malicious lies. You know, these aren't just sort of made up for a laugh. A lot of the time they're made up by agents or even the players themselves, really, to kind of get their name out there. Neto to Man United, I mean, it, it's... I remember Jimenez to Man United being a massive one last year, which just made no sense for either club at the time. But they get shared for, for clicks and for likes, and pe- people kind of like it, I think. Um you know, I think fans kind of like it. It does my head in, but I think a lot of fans just kind of like the soap opera and, and like being linked and like reading about Wolves being in for Cristiano Ronaldo. Whether it's true or not, it's it's some form of entertainment. But in terms of the reality, it's, it's always very, very different to what you see on, on social media and on various websites. And just explain where genuine uh, rumours, that's, that's a sort of contradiction in terms, isn't it? But where genuine reports stem from, it tends to be from journalists such as yourself or from John Percy of the Telegraph or people with very good contacts who know a lot of agents who are being tipped off by agents they have good relationships that they know that somebody's interested in somebody and sometimes of course it has to be said that sometimes the links are genuine um, and the moves just don't come off for a variety of reasons there could be so many different reasons maybe the player doesn't want to go the club don't want to sell the fees not agree there are lots and lots of hoops and hurdles to go through but with Wolves being the way they are at the moment and so heavily involved with George Mendes, George Mendes isn't sort of tipping off some of the the journalists that this and that's going to happen and that Ronaldo's moving to Wolves. So there aren't there isn't that sort of fertile ground of information that there are at so many other clubs, say for example West Ham, where their owners have, you know, a hotline to a lot of journalists where a lot of links are genuine and do come off um, because they have that relationship. Yeah, I mean a classic one is is a player out of favour or coming down to the end of his contract and you know he's not got many offers and his future, immediate future doesn't look great so him or more likely you know an agent will kind of leak that information to the media that you know so and so um Jackie Oatley being being chased by by three clubs normally by agents but also sometimes by clubs but never by the buying club you know if Wolves are in for a player um, and nobody kind of knows about it. They don't want that information to get out there at all. The, you know, the exact opposite, because um, it might scupper their chances or alert other clubs to the player's availability. The, the, I think the only time the kind of buying club would want something out there is if the movers maybe stalled a little bit, or the buying club have set their price too high, and then a club might say, "Look, we're, we're going to move on now. We're going to move on to other targets just to kind of hurry that the selling club up a little bit." But like I said. Most of the time, a lot of them are either just baseless or, yeah, in some cases malicious as well. But sometimes just they just come from nothing. I remember the Sace to Liverpool one in January. I think it came originated from someone writing a piece saying that Liverpool should be looking at Sace because obviously they were desperate for a centre-half at the time. Sace's contract's um, coming to an end. And someone wrote a piece... You know, fair enough, really. Um, Sice is a decent player. You know, maybe Liverpool should be looking at him. And then you see that picked up and you can see the trail and you can follow it, that people pick it up as a rumour. And then all of a sudden it snowballs very, very quickly, particularly in that case, because it was in the last week of the January window, to the extent where less than 24 hours later, I'm getting texts from Liverpool fans, mates of mine, saying, are we in for Sice? Are we in for Sice? There's absolutely nothing in it whatsoever. It originated from, from someone's opinion. So that's how these things kind of snowball. But yeah, I, I, all I can say is, you know, don't read much into it when you see these kind of links. There are an absolute plethora of players over the past few years in particular since Fosun have come in that Wolves have been linked with um, that there's been absolutely no truth whatsoever to those. 
Links. The reason we're talking about it now is because A, there are no Wolves games on at the moment for three weeks. So Wolves fans are a little bit bored. B, we can't get out and about and go and chat about these things in the pub and say, who do you think Wolves should sign in the summer? So we're all on social media a lot more and seeing more of this. So it's more of an issue. Uh, and C, Wolves have had a bit of a rough time of it this season. The goals haven't been forthcoming. Fans are a little bit frustrated and wanting to know what's next and who's next. So all of this comes together as being a bit of a maelstrom of of Twitter transfer speculation. And some people can take it with a pinch of salt and have a bit of fun with it. And other people then get a bit irate about nothing happening. And then, of course, we have to add into the mix the fact that we don't hear much from the club themselves. We don't hear much from above. We don't hear from Jeff Shee very often. Uh, we don't hear from anybody at the club. We don't have sort of marketing managers speaking. And, and that might be perfectly fine. But the point is, there's nothing specific and definite for fans to go on, which is why rumours and speculation may be arrived. Yeah, definitely. And I think, um, you know, Nuno as well will never, ever talk about transfers, ever. He makes a point of that. And, you know, I'd... I'd, I admire that approach and I'd probably do the same really um, because why would you want to talk about business before it's done? Um, but yeah, that, that certainly kind of adds to the frustration I think in terms of information coming out. I mean, Wolves historically have been a very, very um, well-run club that, that, sorry, a non-leaky club, you know, not much leaks out of the club really. Historically that's been the case and certainly in the last few years as well. So um and they and they don't really tend to sign players that are that well known really in the public domain beforehand. So that again, that's why I'd, I'd take these links with with sort of famous players um, with a pinch of salt. You know that in the recent years, the likes of Mario Balotelli, um, Andre Silva, Alex Tellez was last summer was was one because Porto wanted to sell him, and it's just so easy to link him with Wolves, and obviously he then ends up at Man United. Taliska was a very famous example a few years ago when people were just convinced, absolutely convinced, because people were writing about it, that it was happening. And I remember speaking to people at the club on a daily basis. They're like, we just don't understand where this is coming from. So, yeah, it's um, it's it's a very un- unpredictable world. But, but, you know, stick with your tried and trusted for the correct info. So Wolves has been touted as a potential destination for Juventus star Cristiano Ronaldo this summer due to his relationship with George Mendes, bracket source, Diario Madridista. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that, that people are looking at and, and getting quite excited about because oh, it's obvious why people are excited about Ronaldo. But imagine if he did come. Well, we just, we're joining in now, aren't we? We're, well, I am, I speak for myself. Um, it, it would become the Ronaldo show, but it's unlikely. Is that fair to say? At some stage when he's 43, might he come and grace our shores? When he's 43 and when Mourinho is 70, I wouldn't be surprised if they both end up at, at Molyneux. <laughs> but out of interest, how much attention do you think the club pays to what the fans are saying on social media, on message boards, etc.? Because um, there's a little bit of unrest around, isn't there? It's it's the only barometer at the moment as, as to how fans are feeling, um, rightly or wrongly. Um, I mean, I'm always very careful, to be honest, when kind of when when gauging how fans are feeling just on just on social media, because in my experience, I think I mentioned on the podcast before, you know, my dad and one of my best mates, both very good Wolves fans, they would never go anywhere near Twitter in terms of certainly in terms of posting. You know, they might lurk and see what's going on, but would never post. And I, I can say the same for quite a few of my good friends who you know whose opinions I really respect highly. And people may chime with that and people may may think the same, you know, in their kind of social groups. So it's the ones who shout loudest on, on Twitter who, who get heard. And I think you see kind of the same 100, 200 
number of people on Twitter kind of instantly replying to things and a lot of them kind of spouting negativity. So I think it's it's dangerous to just judge um, fan reaction on Twitter. However, like I said, at the moment it's the only barometer because no fans are in the stadium. But as for the club, yeah, they, they certainly keep an eye on it, absolutely. And I think they try and pinpoint some of the more sensible fans in terms of um, in terms of their their opinions, um, and try not to get too swept away, certainly by negativity, and take a kind of a no panic approach, which which is what they've generally done under Jeff Shee. Yeah, which is pretty sensible. But really, when we talk about unrest, it's really more a case of anxiety about the summer and anticipation about the summer because this summer is seen as being a really really big transfer window for Wolves in terms of signing players who are ready for the first team rather than purely players who might be ready for five six seven years time yeah yeah definitely they're they're fully they're fully well aware that that's what the fans think that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to go out and do it but yeah they, they they know exactly what the fans are thinking Finally, there will be a football match for us to watch that involves Wolverhampton Wanderers players in Wolverhampton Wanderers shirts. It is West Ham United on Monday night at Molyneux. And West Ham are fifth in the table, which is where Wolves were at this stage last season when the season was curtailed. So West Ham have had a bit of a a Wolves-type season from last season. And some envious eyes cast in West Ham's direction. Um... What are your thoughts ahead of this game, Tim? They've won three and lost two and, and drawn one of their last games. They were 3-0 up against Arsenal and ended up drawing three all in the last game, having lost away at Manchester United. I think they're, they're a fascinating case study for football behind closed doors. I mean, is it any coincidence that they have the second best home record in the Premier League when there are no fans there? You know, we know how much criticism you know that they've had in the last few years. David Moyes' appointment was not certainly not universally popular, was it, when he came back to the club? Would they have really backed them this season after, after they lost their first two games of the season? How would the fans have reacted when their, their, their third game of the season was against little old Wolverhampton Wanderers? And, of course, they spanked Wolves 4-0 that day. But you just wonder, having lost the first two games of the season, including at home to Newcastle, you know that third game, if the fans were there, would it have been a different story? I, I think so, personally. So they're, they're, they're a really interesting case study and, and uh, I can't wait to see how they get on next season when fans are back. I'm not blaming West Ham fans for anything. It's just a fact that they're, they're very, um, uh, got very, very high demands and have been critical of, of the regime there and of the management over the last few years. But, but without that, that pressure, you can certainly say that, without that pressure um, they've thrived this season um, I mean West Ham always have a good looking team to me uh, certainly in the last few years they've always got a team that on paper looks great full of technically gifted players it's been it's been bringing it together as a team that's been the issue and like I said dealing with that with that kind of fan expectation and pressure but I really like their team and it's going to be a very difficult game I mean you look at the front five that they put out sorry front six sort of players midfield and attack that they put out against Arsenal last time out Rice and Suchek in the middle. I mean, Suchek's been an absolute revelation this season. He'd fit in brilliantly into Wolves' team, scored a shed load of goals, um, but he's got the work ethic and, and that box-to-box mentality that goes with it. So you've got him and Rice in midfield, then Bowen and Ben Rama, who they got from Brentford in the summer, great player, and Lingard, who's been a revelation, uh, behind Antonio, who tore Wolves, and in particular Conor Cody, to shreds back in that 4-0 defeat earlier in the season. So, so yeah, they're, they're sort of playing 4-2-3-1 at the moment. 
suggestions they might get three at the back at some point when Masuaku comes back but him and Yarmolenko are their two sort of guys who've been out injured recently but possibly back soon probably not going to be around for next Monday's game so um, Fornells is one who may come in but otherwise they'll pick pretty much the same team and yeah they've had a great run recently only uh, Man United Man City and Liverpool have beaten them this year does it be a really tough test and they'll, they'll arrive here full of confidence we know that yeah it is fascinating the way they've always been at home and, and the stress really I've done so many so many West Ham games for the BBC over the years they've barely won one that I've been to I've done loads of them um, but at the bowling ground before they um, before they moved to the new stadium which is awful from a spectator's point of view you're so miles away from the pitch and I actually really feel sorry for the fans but a lot of them are, are on board with it a lot of them don't like it because they're removed from their local community from the local pie mash shop and all that it's just so disparate people go to different pubs miles away and they've got Westfield shop shopping centre going to different pubs and you're coming in from different angles so I would never choose to be there and of course they were vehemently against um, the owners and the board etc but without fans miraculously they're having an absolutely incredible season so as you say it is fascinating but that's kind of irrelevant on Monday night because it'll be at Molyneux and somewhere where Wolves have really struggled for goals and we're really conscious in this pod we don't want to go over old ground but Wolves have really struggled for goals. I mean, what do you think Wolves will do in terms of lineup personnel? Any tactical tweaks you anticipate? Well, I mean, again, you know, West Ham have got what Wolves want. They've got they've got um, Suchek scoring nine in the league. They've got Jesse Lingard scoring five in seven, which is quite astonishing. And stopping him is is, is going to be the key. You know, I spoke to um, our West Ham guru Roshane ahead of the podcast, and he said, "Look, Lingard's been phenomenal." sort of roaming in the 10 role and yeah scored five and seven and the key the key to winning really at the moment against West Ham is stopping Lingard so who's going to do that is Neves going to sit uh, is Matinho going to sit I think it probably probably be Ruben Neves' job to do that and I'd be looking at, at bringing Dendonka in as well I mean saying this for a couple of weeks I would start him alongside Neves in midfield at the moment and then you hope Cody's on his metal against Antonio up front because on the counter-attack uh, at the London Stadium earlier in the season I mean yeah, Antonio just 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 dragged Cody all over the field, and they exploited you know the many gaps that were in Wolves' defence. Such an alarming defeat, probably Wolves' worst performance of the season. They had a real shocker that day. I didn't see that coming at all, um, and I think it made them think long and hard about about the season ahead. So yeah, in terms of Wolves' starting eleven, like I said, I, I would bring in Dendonka. Otherwise, he's sort of restricted, really, in the changes that he can make. Even if Pedence is fit to be in the squad, I would doubt he'd come straight back in and start, you know, after his injury troubles. And then we'll see what happens with Rui Patricio. You know, i told it's sort of unknown at this stage whether he'll be um, available. Obviously, he didn't go away with Portugal during the international break. Um, it will have been three weeks since the Liverpool game, and he suffered that awful knock uh, once the West Ham game kicks off. So you'd hope that he'll have passed all the sort of necessary concussion tests and should be okay. Um, but at the moment, um, unknown whether he'll he'll play a part. Yeah, and Wolves' lack of goals at home. Since that willy-bolly goal against West Brom in the game that we never need to talk about ever again in mid-January, they've only scored one goal from open play, excluding penalty and an own goal. And that was against 10 men by Joao Moutinho against Arsenal in one, two, three, four, five games. So goals hard to come by. Um, be interesting if they manage to score first in that game as well. Yeah, you're right. That, that, that's the key. I mean, just to say, it feels like a long time ago now, but that Liverpool performance was was pretty good. Uh, certainly the first yeah. half, I thought they were great. Jose was brilliant linking the line. Um, Traore and Semedo were pretty good as well. You know, 
if, if, if they're not going to pick up where they left off against Liverpool, but that kind of set the standard for, for the kind of performance we want to see from them at home. Yeah, absolutely. And they're not far away from scoring goals. I mean, they're not scoring goals. They're not far away. I mean, they're, they're fabulous forwards, fabulous wingers, great wing backs. They can score goals. It's just, um, it hasn't quite been clicking, but it's not as if they're nowhere near it. You still feel they have loads of goals and William Jose. Oh, I do. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one that feels that way. I think he's done really well. I th- I th- I th- I, it, well, he's done really well in a few games and then a few games he's just been completely anonymous. But um, I, I really like what he brings to the team. In terms of linking the play, I think I think I think he's he's got qualities that Jimenez has got. He's just not quite as mobile, um, and not quite as alert in the box. But um, I think I, I'm still backing him to score. I don't know two or three between now and the end of the season. You know that that that'd be decent from where we're at now. Right, Tim, you ready for a few quick fire tweets to finish off the pod? Okay, let's do it. Okay. Wolvo Wolf Matt asks, does the potential relaxing of FFP mean we can progress the much needed Molyneux redevelopment? Um, I, I still don't think Wolves will want to invest hugely and put themselves into the red, you know, year on year. I think, um, as as discussed last week when we were talking about the accounts, their current approach is, is to take it kind of um, brick by brick, really, as it were, uh, and gradually improve the stadium rather than invest the tens and tens and tens of millions of pounds it would take to do the whole thing in one go. So I think at the moment, the squad is still very much the priority um, and the stadium's going to be long term. I wonder, and there's no way of knowing this, but I wonder if they'd have known that fans would be out of the ground for a year, whether they'd have bitten the bullet and just done it. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they see it in that way though that that um, that they're going to have a reduced capacity for a few months. So so now would be a good time to do it. I, th- I think they're seeing it purely from a financial point of view that that if that that steeple stands, you know, as we discussed, I think last year with John Goff on the pod, it's a huge job. It's been there since 1979. It's got one of the worst stands in the in the league it needs doing but it's such a massive project that it's going to cost them an awful lot of money so um so i think that's the bottom line at the moment and with you can say now is the best time to do it because there's a pandemic and there's no fans in the stadium i would counter that that Fosun might say it's the worst time to do it because because they're because their, their income levels are, are, are through the floor in, in some regards bottom line is, is is the finances and trying to make the club uh, profitable which is what Fosun are all about Okay, we have had a lot of tweets about Vitinho after his under-21 performances. Nev Homer, Vitinho seems to be the sort of player we need, but can he play Nuno Ball? Yeah, that's it. I mean, he's on on the face of it, he's he's creative, he's technically gifted, um, and that's what Wolves Wolves are lacking at times. But you look at Neto and Traore, both in the top six in the league for creating chances. So creating chances isn't necessarily the biggest problem. It's, it's finishing them off has been the biggest problem with one goal from a striker in open play since Jimenez was injured on November the 29th. That's four months now. One goal from a striker in open play. So like I said, Neto and Traore are right up there for chance creation. So if you're going to get Vitinha into this team, you sort of need to work the team around him. And I would say that the fact he's done well at the under-21 levels does not mean he's going to come in and rip it up in the Premier League. And you'd say the same for like Dion Sanderson, you know, playing great against against Burton and Rochdale every week doesn't mean he's going to go and do it in the Premier League. So you've got to understand what level they're playing at. And Vitinha, it's sort of a chicken and egg thing. And it's the same with Gibbs White. You know, they probably should be doing a little bit more off the bench to earn that place in the first team. But equally, they need regular game time to show what they can do. So it's a little bit, you know, which one comes first. And from what we've seen of Vitinho, he hasn't demanded inclusion in the team, albeit we haven't seen him for a while. 
By the way, when you said that one goal from open play since November by a striker from Fabio Silva, it still resulted from a corner that hadn't been cleared and Willy Bolly was still up there and managed to nudge the ball to him. Just saying. Uh, Mike Hulsey85 says, which loan players, if any, are the club likely to take up the option to buy in the summer? So Ryan A. Nori, thoughts on that? I think Nori would, would be the favourite at this point um, on the price tags that Wolves have, have set um, as an option. Um, obviously, you know there might be some renegotiation there in the summer, but roughly twenty million for all three. And I think Aitnor is probably the one that showed the most potential. Um, Jose, I can't see Jose happening, and Vitinha, we need to see more from him. Stratford upon Wolves, see what you've done there. Has Nuno, his staff, and the players who weren't on international duty been able to get home to see family, etc.? You know, there's there's this um, allowance for elite sports people to travel overseas, but that's only for for matches. You know they can't they can't pop home and, and visit their family, but yeah the 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 great thing about Portugal coming off the red list as as I think we mentioned last week is that Ruben Neves has um, been able to meet his um, his newborn boy after four four six weeks um, since he was born. But yeah no they've not been able to to pop home to Portugal. There are still there are still heavy restrictions on international travel unless it's to actually go and play a match. Yes, gosh. Can't wait for that to change for their sakes. Ben Hodgson, how much would you pay for an all-or-nothing style Wolves documentary just to know what Nuno's thinking? He'd never go for oh, that. that'd be good, but We would it? pay, wouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the mask slips? Yes. Um, I'd, uh, I'd pay, I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd pay a decent amount of money for that. See what they really think of Jackie Oatley. I bet, I bet they discuss you all the time. Because <laughs> I'm completely, yeah, completely different in my life. Uh, but Nuno, yeah, interesting, isn't it? Because we know people who've worked with him, obviously. So we, we have a jigsaw puzzle um, of an image of, of what he's like behind the scenes. And um, very intense, very hardworking, very demanding. Nothing wrong with any of those things. Uh, but it would be interesting, wouldn't it, for the fans to see maybe a different person to the TV interviews, which is a different person again to the press conference. So... Um, yeah, interesting, but clearly a very kind bloke as well, bearing in mind we know what he's done for local charity, etc. So um, interesting character. And uh, we should say happy birthday to Stevie Bull, 56 this week. Another the million Wolves players had their birthdays in the last couple of months, haven't they? It's extraordinary. Every couple of days there's a, a happy birthday tweet from the club. But the one with Stevie Ball's best bits, shall we say, from this week. Oh, I could watch that over and over, particularly his goals against the Albion, but there were some absolute crackers in there, weren't there? That boy could score goals. Oh, we miss him, don't we? We miss him. Uh, he had his jab as well, Bully, so well done, Bully. Go on, He's Bully, been jabbed. Absolute legend right there. Tim, I've loved your work recently. 10K oh, to MK, which wasn't quite 10K, but that was the idea, and that was a hashtag anyway. It was as, as many focus you could get in there were 8,900 in the end I love your piece explaining how it all came about three blokes in a pub or something like that wasn't it and um, the ticket office not very grateful to them because they had to work overtime and weekends etc to make it all happen but your interview with Pete Winkleman who I didn't realise was from Penn I knew he was a Wolves yeah. fan but I didn't realise he was proper Boston Road. born and bred Penn back. Road grew up on the Penn Road what a great yeah he, do you know he was a great guy he's so enthusiastic um, yeah. I knew he was from Wolverhampton, but yeah, I didn't know he was a massive Wolves fan, like a huge Wolves fan. Which, um, when he was a kid, which probably played some part in them, in them letting uh, almost nine thousand Wolves fans into the stadium that day, as well as a few more in the home end. Um, but yeah, I love doing that piece. I, I just happened to notice that it, it was going to be seven years to the day since since ten k to mk, which people will remember so fondly. It just struck me: how often does that happen? An away team takes nine thousand fans to a normal away game in League One. I mean, I know Wolves are going for the title, but 
There was no other reason to get 9,000 fans there other than they could. And it was just, it just encapsulated a moment and a momentum and a real feeling around the club of positivity and warmth at that time, you know, under Kenny Jacket, putting the club back together. It was, it was a great time. And yeah, I, I spoke to Liam McAlinden for that piece, who was brilliant. Again, I didn't quite realise how much of a staunch Wolves fan he was. Born in Cannock, all his family are Wolves fans, all his friends are Wolves fans. He's a Wolves fan, continues to be a Wolves fan, and he scored the winner that day um, right in front of that massive away end. I mean, as, as he kind of said, you know, it's it's the the dream game of his of his career and always will be and of his life really. So um, fantastic to speak to him. He scored the winner for Morecambe as well at the weekend. Good lad. Um, Liam did. Yeah, that's his first goal for them and first any year. Yeah, so he's, really he's perennial see. substitute for them, but I think he started that one and got the winner. So absolutely fantastic. So yeah, um, yeah, really enjoyed doing that. Yeah, I hadn't realised he was staunch Wolves either. I knew he was from Cannock, but there's a, there's a lot of Villa up there, a lot of Glory Hunters from when we were growing up. Um, but uh, but no, really good piece. So make sure you have a read of that. Go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod to sign up for less than a pound a week. That was a good one. Caught up also with your financial story, which was... Um, very grown up with lots of interesting info that was really good so if people want to understand what the almost 40 million pound losses meant in reality and what's the other article i really liked oh yes your william jose and fabio silva analysis that's not really one for the pod that's definitely one to sit down and read and analyze but you've got a colleague a statistical colleague from the athletic mark Carey. To, uh, to help you with the stats on that. That's definitely a really good read. And what have you got coming up this week, Tim? Thanks, Bab. Uh, I'm not sure why you've been... I've oh, been way too nice to you today. I wasn't <laughs> even mean so to you. Surprised. Normally in the opening line, I just stick the boot in. <laughs> and I haven't even done that. I need to think of something mean to say just to make you feel normal again. A um, couple of bits coming up this week, but I don't really want to say, just in case they don't happen. Uh, so just keep your eyes glued to my social media and to The Athletic website and app, and it'll all be on there. All the good stuff. And Wolves women are finally getting to play again. They are training today, which is Monday as we speak, for the first time in many months, about four months, I think it is, three months since they were last allowed to even get together. And they've got a match already on Sunday. And it is going to be live, by the way, on Wolves TV against Manchester United in the FA Cup. They've had their season curtailed, the one nine out of nine, but they will be playing live on Sunday afternoon on Wolves TV. So follow at Wolves Women for all the information on that. Thank you, Spiders. Cheers, Bab. Look forward to catching up with you again next week on your regular podcast platform. Subscribe to The Athletic. Go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash Wolves pod. $3.99 a month for the first six months. And we'll see you soon. Bye for now. The Athletic.